My mom looks so happy. I watch her go inside to change into her, the outfit she's going to leave the reception in. And I just think we did it. Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter, a weekly podcast on the art and craft of the personal narrative story. Each week, my partner Kurt and I, Sean, will tackle one question and answer it as best we can to help you craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories, true stories, personal stories, grit stories. This week, our feature storyteller is Sarah Quay. Sarah lives up in Massachusetts, and there must be something in the water up there because they produce a whole lot of really good storytellers. Sarah's got a five-minute story. And when she's done, Kurt and I will tackle this week's question. What makes a story a story? And stick around after Kurt and I finish up. Sarah's got something to say about that as well. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support us, you can follow us on our Facebook page, Grit True Stories That Matter. If you've got a question or a comment or an idea, reach out. You can email us, hello at storygrit.com. And finally, if you are listening on Apple, it really helps us and lets other people find this podcast if you rate and or review it. Thanks again. Let's dive in. It's July 25th, 1974. I am nine years old, and I am about to be a flower girl in my mom's wedding. We've been on our own for a few years now, my mom and my younger brother and sister and I, ever since my dad moved out and my parents got divorced. But today, I am getting a stepdad, three stepsisters, and a stepbrother. So this is the era of the Brady Bunch on TV, and so merging families and bringing people together in this way seems kind of normal and easy and exciting, and I am really excited. I already just love my soon-to-be stepdad, and one of the girls who's going to be my sister is my best friend. Her name is also Sarah which we think is hilarious because now we're going to be sisters named Sarah living in the same house because that's not going to cause any confusion. So I'm super excited. And my grandfather takes the three youngest girls, including me, out the day before to go shopping, and we get to choose any doll that we want. And so I choose the bride doll, and she has a beautiful long white dress and veil and She reminds me of my mom, and I just think she's perfect. It's a 1970s wedding, and my mom has a ring of daisies in her hair. We girls are dressed in different pastel-colored wrap skirts that are all homemade, and we have little peasant blouses with embroidery on the sleeves. The boys are in seersucker jackets, and everyone's looking pretty good. It's a pretty small guest list, just friends and family. And the reception is in our backyard, or what will be our backyard. Right now, it's still my stepfamily's backyard because my mom and sister and brother and I haven't moved in yet. There's food and cake and a toasted happy couple. And 
just my mom looks so happy. I watch her go inside to change into her, the outfit she's going to leave the reception in. And I just think we did it. So the plan is that my mom and stepdad will leave the reception and head out, head out on their honeymoon for a week. And tonight, my sister and brother and I will go back and spend one more night in the house we grew up in. Our aunt is going to spend the night with us and then tomorrow just take us to our grandparents for the week. And while we're there, all of the clothing and toys and furniture from our old house is going to be just moved to the new house and our bedrooms are going to be all set up and we're just going to get dropped back off there in a week and kind of start our new time together as a family. My mom and stepfather start to walk away from the reception and down the path towards the car and people start throwing rice and rose petals and there's the kids are sort of shouting and the adults are beaming and and there's just so much joy in the air as my mom walks past me I throw my arms around her waist and I just start sobbing and I stay like that, bent in half, crying inconsolably all the way to the car. Because it has hit me on this incredibly happy day that my life just changed forever. My mom is not going to just be my mom. She's going to be the mom of seven kids. I'm leaving the house I grew up in and moving in with people that I really actually don't know that well. And my mom and my real dad are not going to get back together again. So when I think about that bride doll that I bought just yesterday, I'm thinking maybe I'm going to put it in the back of the closet because this is not going to be the Brady Bunch. This is going to be something a lot harder. Our feature storyteller, Sarah Quay. Thanks, Sarah. Next up, Kurt and I tackle the question, what makes a story a story? And after we're done, Sarah has something to say about that as well. Let's dive in. Kurt, Sarah, Sarah was your student, right? Yeah. So in our, in our last session, which is now over, uh, Sarah was one of my students. And uh, I can imagine not having known Sarah as a, as a student or whatever, and just hearing the story right out of the box, because it just instantly causes me to reflect on something from my own family's past, which is really part of the magic of this art of storytelling. You know, you hear somebody tell a story, Mm -hmm. if it's coming from the right place, it sparks something in you, and you might go over some part of your life. It doesn't always have to be serious. This story is a very serious story. This story, she she starts out with, it's 1974, and I'm, you know, a bridesmaid in my mother's wedding. And I'm thinking, oh, and as we get into the story, I'm thinking about 1975. I'm three years old. My mother's getting remarried. I'm thinking 1977. My folks are split, and they're both getting remarried, obviously, to different people. The same week, people from our generation, and presumably generations after, the divorce rate is high. Sarah has the luxury, for lack of a better word, that they've been through divorce as a young kid. 
You don't yeah. need that to connect to the story, right? You might've come from a family that, that never dealt with that and you still might relate to it, but she has that going for her. Uh, it's a nice, yeah. I certainly connected to it that way, yeah. So why, why is it, Sean, that this story seems so unique, as common as this territory is? It, maybe you just don't hear a lot of people remembering their parents' wedding in this way. Yeah, at that, at that kind of age. And maybe in part, it's a reflection of her, I don't know, about making that balance between you want to make it, you know, something people can connect to and relate to, but also it's her story. And she takes us into a world and we're like, thank you for taking us into your world and giving us, sharing that with us. So that's a tricky balance, I think, of universality and sort of unique thing about the storyteller and his or her experience and how they remember it. It's not just about the wedding. It's a loss of innocence story. It's parents making decisions. And for the most part, you can hear the parents in the story saying behind the scenes, well, this is going to be best for these kids. Look at we're we're presenting them an opportunity to live in a household like intact as a kind of family. It's even part of our like popular mythology now, the Brady Bunch and et cetera overlooking maybe because they it's willful overlooking but that there's definitely this fallout and sarah is telling us in four and a half minutes how it gets absorbed yeah she wants to believe that this is a happy occasion and then uh all the pieces start to move in a certain direction towards the end and she's bent over at the waist throwing her arms around her past her mother's waist you know just sobbing because she it's so sad to understand especially as a little kid when it's never happened to before that nothing will ever be the same no matter what mom says i think for most people particularly kids like your default is it's going to be okay that's how we get by in the world if your default was it's not going to be okay you are in trouble i think yeah so that's and isn't that kind of what innocence is yes you're gonna be okay it's just sucked into the story you and I are in, in in a conversation that I completely enjoy. It's this ongoing conversation about what is it? What are the stories that we're looking for? Mm-hmm. And every time we reach out to a storyteller, we're tasked with, you know, describing what is what is a story for this podcast? What is a grit story? And it's it's in flux, but generally we know a couple of things. We want to see what's underneath. We want we want to see we want you to take on something that's uh, maybe emotionally challenging. But I think baked in there, maybe unsaid between us is, you know, maybe going deep sometimes takes longer. And I know that the story is exceedingly short. Do you remember what you were thinking when I said, hey, we should do Sarah's story for the podcast? I love that we are trying to include people who aren't necessarily on the storytelling circuit. I'm not even sure what the circuit is, but there's certainly a good number of people who we see a lot And many of them are very gifted and I'm by no means excluding them. I like the fact that, no, all right. So there's somebody who's newish to this. Maybe we can feature them also. Sarah came into this, into my class anyway, with like this desire to be super honest. And by the way, when I asked Sarah, give me a little bio for our show. It was so modest. I never really learned anything about her. I just know that she works at Endicott College. I don't know if she's a professor of English or what, but I know that she has a background in writing essays. There was with Sarah this know-how. So it excited me when she started mm-hmm. to tell this this uh, story that also happened to resonate. Probably mm-hmm. did a much better job telling her own story than I've ever done telling that part of my past. Part of it is because I was a little too young to really have a grasp on the the wedding day. Like in 75, when it happened, I was falling asleep. I took a nap. Same. same. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think I got drunk. I think I accidentally got drunk. <laughs> but, you know, when you I don't know the age and it may not be the same for everyone, but three and four year olds don't typically do things that years later they remember. Right. And, right. and it would change the course of their life. I hear this, by the way, this is a tangent, you know, in marketing. I was for this has come up before. It's a spot for me that gets me charged up. I'm four years old and I heard this and my parents were yelling and I decided I would never be that kind of person. And I'm like, no, you didn't. You did that when you were 29 in your therapist's office. And that's fine. Good. But like you, I don't think you were three and a half when you made that decision. However, Sarah at nine, that's a different age. And you really can remember things in a different way and how they affected you and maybe things that you are aware of, of, yeah, this is really changing my life. This is going to be different and it's not going to be the same. And I don't know what lies ahead. Right. Exactly. You know, when we look at stories, there are certain boxes that need to be checked, as, as you like to say. Just certain things that every storyteller sort of needs to cover. I'll just bring up one of them today, just in the interest of being basic yep. uh, or straightforward, rather. And it is, does the main character mm-hmm. change? Because if there's no change in the story, there's really no story at all. It's just... You know, there's really no takeaway. It's like, that's what story is. Story represents change in an individual. You're the main character. You're telling, you're, you've got the responsibility of the story heaped up on your shoulders. You're carrying us through the scene or scenes that make up your story. These scenes matter because they have a certain influence on who you are to the point where by the end of the story, we're well aware that it's landed on you and you may never be the same again. That's change. What I loved about the story was at no point did I have to say, so, uh, you know, that storyteller who says, and then I realized, or I was devastated, creates like this wall between you and the story at hand. Sarah just doesn't create that wall at all. She's like, I'm going to take you through in my measured, measured Sarah way. Here we are in the doll shop. Here we are full of expectation. Here we are, I'm putting on my bridesmaid stuff. Here we all are all looking good. And then we're at the wedding and then there are toasts. You know, she's like, this is what it looked like to me, age nine. And then everybody's throwing rice and in, in, in petals, flower petals, and then sideswipe me as real grief does to a person. She's not explaining anything. She's just showing you what happened in a really efficient way. The change. So- We're talking about a personal narrative story. And I point that out because we use the word story in so many different ways. Share your story. What's your story? Story, story, story. We're we're not talking about just any story. And it matters because if you don't understand that this conversation about change may not make as much sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Personal narrative story, the way it's defined and it's accepted. There's some kind of change, big or small, however you define it. Change can also include just a different heightened sense of awareness about something, an increased understanding about something. It can be slight. If you don't have that, we call it typically a romp or an anecdote, and they're fine. But the reason a story is a story and not that is because it seems as if stories, which include this change, they do something more. It's not an accident. It's not as if three professors from Amherst College have decided what a story is and they're forcing us to do it this way. It's this way because however it came about, it's just better when there's change. (laughs) Yeah. You can fight it, but you're probably not going to win that fight. It makes you wonder why we're so drawn to it. We're addicted to stories as people. 
and if stories are change, why are we so why are we so hooked on looking at someone else's change? Is there something about listening to Sarah's story that brings me close to the events of my past that perhaps allow me to see it more clearly? I think so. Mm. I think so. And I think there's a part of me that wants to be there. But there's this other part too. There's this part that gives gives all of us anxiety. It's that we know that the future holds changes for us. Some of them good, some of them bad. Right. And it makes us anxious that we don't know what they are and that we have absolutely no ability to control them. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like you got to stare at it a little bit like a flame or like fireworks. You're like, that's dangerous, but it's rather attractive too. If you look at almost any, actually any great book or movie, the main character changes, period. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing they all have in common, that's that, I think. Uh, there's, it's not an accident. It, there's a reason. Uh, why that is and why we're drawn to it, I'm not sure. I do think that it's in our DNA. It's the default we often go by. I think it's, it, it's there's a conversation around hope and improving our lives and struggling and fighting. And so when you craft a story and it reflects that, I think we're drawn to it find a really good anecdote or romp, the teller has work to do, a different kind of work to keep us engaged. If the arc of your story is the change from where you started to where you ended and you follow that arc, whatever it looks like, we're in it. Everything else is just supporting that, including the scenes themselves, the action often. If you don't have the change, all we have is the stuff that's happening to you. That's it. And unless I happen to overlap with that experience, we were both college kids and in a fraternity and it just works out that way. You got a lot of work to do to keep me engaged, to keep me interested. It is not easy. And more importantly, even if it's good, I'll forget it probably in an hour or two. Am I talking in circles here? Not at all. You know, when someone comes into your kitchen or whatever, and you're, you're listening to someone, they're telling you about their day. And you're thinking, or ultimately, if I know Sean Wellington, you're saying, get to the point. You're fair. That's fair. Get to the point. It's just like, okay, what's the point? Like, And I think the point is change. You know, stop going sideways. Don't tell me about right. what you saw at the grocery store. Tell me about the person who tried to trip you or now, tried to rip you off or mug you or what's the point? Right. So this is a fundamental thing in story that I think, how do I say this nicely? A lot of people get wrong. They focus on the action and the scenes. I'm using the word scenes. I can say action or events. I am using that in the synonymously. They are not recognizing the change. When I use the word change, I think when we use the word change, it is not necessarily one moment. It are, it's a series of moments that develops. That is what a dramatic arc is. So when you or Aaron or other people say, I'm not jiving with this and I realize stuff, what I think you are saying and he is saying is you didn't develop, you didn't change throughout your story at all. You shared with us a bunch of stuff that happened. And at the very end, you're saying, and I did, I realized this or I discovered this, but you have not shown us through the story at all. What we're saying is like, that's the very part. That's the hard work behind. And then I realized is no, show us. How you got there. That's the story. Stop it. Don't sidestep it. So there's also this. When you're telling that story at our age, it's been banging around your head and your heart for a long, long time. It's something that only happened to you. 
mm-hmm. it takes a certain amount of uh, maturity to say there was some good stuff here too, and not to render the adult figures as completely evil. The mentoring grandfather takes me to the store to buy any doll I want in the damn store. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. And so she doesn't do that thing that a lot of people just starting out do, which is to really draw a circle around themselves as having some sort of unique experience. Right. Well, I, I don't think it's just people that are starting out, but yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of people that do that and it is a pitfall. And you wonder, do they have people in their lives to say, hey, you're doing this thing and it's not particularly effective. In fact, it's a little bit alienating and I'm just not interested. I would guess that most people go through it. I mean, I, I'm speaking from experience in writing. Like I was doing it for a long time. It's hard not to, I mean, it's not hard for me anymore because now I know like every story has been told and yeah. I'm not so special. And, um, you know, we're just all dipping our ladle in the same damn soup. I mean, it's just the truth. Our stories all look a little bit different. Like we talked about Laura's sto- Laura Packard's story about grief. We'll all go through grief, unfortunately. Laura's is, is unique to Laura, but there's so much about her story that everybody can, who's been through grief can relate to. Even the tone of her voice. Sarah's story, you don't need to have had parents who split up to realize that as a little kid, sometimes parents make decisions and there's a fallout. That's what that story is about to me. The really good stories typically have this thing where I'm like, wow, that was a really interesting thing you went through and I relate to some of it. So Sean, uh, imagine if you were listening to Sarah's story and she loaded you with details. So her story was like seven minutes long and she was describing how shaggy the fucking grass was on the lawn. Right, right, right. So she she gives you just enough. It's super minimal. Yeah. And But Sean's sitting there filling in the blanks. She's saying, no, listen to my story. Be part of my story. Be yeah. engaged. You know from the feedback when people really like your story, there's going to be tons of people around us who are oh, nice job. That was amazing. Not a good sign. There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of that going on because we do love each other, you know, but we, and we know it's hard, but they're not all our stories are amazing. But if we, if we know like not to fill in, don't overload them. It's just like uh, Tom Sawyer whitewashing the fence. The storyteller sort of tricks the listener into doing a lot of the imaginative work. Yeah. That is not my thought. That's from Jonathan Gotchell's book, The Storytelling Animal. It's just Mm -hmm. so true. And he's talking about writers, but he might as well be using the word storyteller. Sure. You know, I think when you say that, if I'm new to this, or even if I'm not, that's a hard one because we do need to say some stuff to communicate with you certain things, or it's not a story. I'm miming. I mean, you've got to actually, words have to come out of your mouth, right? And then, so then you're asking the teller, the crafter of the story, the hero and so on. Tell me what I need to know, but not too much. And I think that is one of the hardest things to really get a handle on. I really do. Enough to activate our imaginations, but not too much that we just are lost or stop caring or check our phones. But the bigger message here is you start one way, you end another way. And the story is that change. The story is not the events. That's a huge difference that I think a lot of storytellers, if they embrace, would drastically improve their stories, Kurt. And those scenes that you are choosing serve the change. It's not the other way around. The scenes aren't standing alone. And when you think of it that way, it changes the way you craft things. It really does. 
in your no. choice of, is this a story? Is this something to spend time on, develop into a story? Or is it just something that right. is just a bugaboo in my mind? Like that neighbor, Mrs. Anderson, who used to pinch me. Why did she? Well, I don't know. I'll never know. It's not a story. And if you want to tell me that anecdote and, and actually like I care, well, I don't know. It's got to be some things. I don't know. Maybe funny, maybe really different, maybe really weird, really something. If it goes yeah. on too long without any of those things, uh, 99% of people mm, are not listening. Talking ragtime. Look, your girlfriend's experiences are a little different than most people's. You're in a relationship and you have a duty, arguably, to listen to stuff that is not that interesting. That's why you're a girlfriend. Like I had a bad day. Like when I tell my wife I had a bad day. Right. There's a few people in our lives, if we're lucky, (laughs) if we're lucky, that are going to listen to that. Now, by the way, they're still probably rolling their eyes because it is indeed boring. Oh, yeah. And they're half listening because they get good at it the more time they spend with you. But but hey, you've signed up to be someone's spouse or you were born into being their sibling and you're still close. Suck it up. Give them a little attitude. Give them an extra minute or two. Most human beings, you don't get that luxury and uh, you're probably boring them. This does not mean that you need to do cartwheels or be a clown. What you need to do is find the change and then craft your story with that change in mind. Kurt, this is what makes a story a story. very surprised by how my story ended until I started remembering my mom and stepdad's wedding. I had completely forgotten about the inconsolable sadness I felt as my mom and he were leaving the reception and heading out on their honeymoon and we were embarking on this big adventure as a family. Um, And yet as soon as the memory came back, I I was right back there. And it was just really powerful to remember being nine years old and at the beginning of a chapter of my life that shaped really who I am today. The good news is, is that my stepfamily, my family as I call them, we have worked really hard to be connected and supportive and done really well. We're a big I call us a family orchard instead of a family tree, and there's just a lot of love there. When my stepdad passed away almost 20 years ago now, we all kind of made a new commitment to each other to to be a family and to remain a family, and it's been one of the great joys of my life to be part of such a large, different kind of family unit. So it started out with some challenges, but the initial feeling I had on that day was one of love, and that's the one that I hold today. Thanks so much for letting me tell my story.